This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I'm in an Iowa mood today, caucus day. That's because I'm looking out the window and seeing white here in Washington. Literally the first snow in two years. Now, it's an inch or two. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal compared to, say, Buffalo, where they had to cancel the uh, Bills-Steelers game until today because of just, I don't know, 10 feet of snow, whatever. Um, Lot to get to. We will have a lot of smart opinion, not necessarily coming from me, on the Iowa caucuses. I've got some things I want to get to first. And I also want to say... Happy Martin Luther King Day. If you're enjoying a three-day weekend, that's great. Hope you had a chance to see Media Buzz. Among other things, I interviewed Martha McCallum about being the co-moderator with Brett Baer of the Donald Trump Town Hall. And we had, you know, it was one of these shows where I had to literally rewrite the scripts 15 times because it was heading in a certain direction. Obviously, we knew we were going to do Iowa, and then along comes the Hunter Biden Uh, showing up on Capitol Hill stunt, and then comes uh, Lloyd Austin having prostate cancer, and then comes uh, the Biden campaign team inviting journalists to Wilmington to tell them, among other things, that the Trump coverage is wrong or awful and needs to be corrected. Um, That's a lot of stuff. (laughs) But get a load of this one. Trump ally and known conspiracy theorist, Laura Loomer, taking all kinds of flack for what she posted about Nikki Haley. And the thing you have to know about Laura Loomer is that she's certainly got Donald Trump's attention. He wanted to hire her for his campaign. There was a bit of an uproar, and Trump decided not to go forward with that. So she says this. We all know Nikki Haley has a lot of friends in the defense industry and military industrial complex. She's losing in Iowa. And now Iowa is set to get hit with a once in a decade blizzard. As Donald Trump is set to dominate the Iowa caucus. The question is, according to Laura Loomer, Is Nikki Haley, through her military-industrial friends, using weather manipulation to rig the Iowa caucus? Is the deep state trying to rig the Iowa caucus? So, yes, the weather has been awful. It is usually pretty bad in Iowa in January. Yes, we haven't seen a blizzard like this since the last one a couple of days ago. But if Nikki Haley has the power to manipulate the weather, looks like weather manipulation to me, she says, 
Take a look at this weather radar below and see how the incoming snowstorm accelerated out of nowhere. Well, if she has that power, I think more people should vote for her because uh, that would come in handy, wouldn't you think? Now, there are a lot of headlines about Fox News and the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell. Fierce Trump supporter, fierce advocate of 2020 election was stolen, not necessarily arguing with facts, and relentless promoter of pillows. So the head, a couple of the headlines is one in the Daily Beast, you know, Fox News kicks Mike Lindell to the curb, not going to run his ads anymore, as if this was some, you know, deliberate sabotage or act of conscience. Well, actually what happened is Lindell went on Steve Bannon's podcast and he said he was told that Fox would no longer accept his commercials. And he told the Washington Post he he got no explanation. But he thinks it's related to, you know, a podcast that he went on. And the reality is that Fox is stopping, at least for now, the MyPillow commercials because Lindell hasn't paid for his advertising since back in August. If he starts to pay, I'm obviously the guy's having financial troubles. If he starts to pay, the ads will come back. That happens, you know, every day of the week. I'm surprised it's been allowed to go on this long. Okay, story number one. Here's some quotes from Donald Trump over the weekend. Now, if I wanted to write a tabloid headline for this, I could say Trump urges supporters to die. And I think that would go pretty viral, right? Of course, it would also be recklessly irresponsible. But what he said was, these caucuses are your personal chance to score the ultimate victory over all the liars, cheaters, thugs, perverts, frauds, crooks, freaks, creeps, and other quite nice people. Leading into this one. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I gotta make it. Even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. All right, that's Donald Trump being funny. You know, cast a vote for me, brave the blizzard, and, you know... If you don't make it after that, you did your duty for the country. Okay, I'm not going to take that seriously. Uh, Trump also going off on Vivek Ramaswamy, who has said nothing but nice things about him throughout this primary, seems stunned at being thrown under the bus. I mean, Vivek has said that Trump is the greatest president in modern history. And this is a follow-up to an earlier attack on Vivek. Former president saying a vote for Vivek is a wasted vote. I like Vivek, but he played it too cute with us. What he means is the polls show Vivek at about 8% in Iowa, and Trump has some concern that that could take away some votes from him. By the way, the uh, final Iowa poll, the gold standard Des Moines Register poll, has Trump at 48%. Nikki Haley at 20%, and Ron DeSantis in third place at 16%. But 
the weather is going to wreak havoc on this, and the turnout is always the name of the game, but especially in horrible weather. Ron DeSantis uh, went on uh, three shows, actually, yesterday, including Fox News Sunday, but on ABC's This Week, he told John Carl that Trump wants a party defined solely by loyalty to him. He said that a number of Republicans who've endorsed Trump have told he, DeSantis, privately that they'll vote for him. That's just the reality. He said Trump wants the benchmark in the party to be whether or not someone will kiss his ring. Not any principles or achievements. Where was this, Ron DeSantis, a month or two ago? Now, I want to say a few words about Iowa. Because Iowa is basically a small, rural, unrepresentative state. And because of the complicated caucus system, you know, especially this is even more of a factor given the snow and the wind. If you want to vote in a primary, you can go anytime, day or evening, until the polls close. You walk in, maybe there's a five-minute line, you cast your vote, and you leave. Maybe you go back to your job. Caucuses don't work that way. you got to show up. 7 p.m. You got to stay there for three hours while your neighbors and others give speeches on behalf of various candidates. Then you vote. Then you may vote again. It's a three-hour commitment at night. You work at night, you can't do it. You got a flat tire, you can't do it. It it does kind of exclude a lot of people. What's more is we're talking about a relatively small number of people. If I don't even think 200,000 people are going to vote in the Iowa caucuses. In a state uh, population, about 3 million. So why does it have such influence? Because it's first. And because Jimmy Carter in 1976 basically camped out in Iowa for a year. I mean, he was Jimmy who? He was a one-term Georgia governor. One Iowa that propelled him to the nomination and the White House. So every politician looks in the mirror and sees a president and says, oh, I'd like to do that. But Iowa rarely predicts the winner. On the Republican side, I think the only person who won the Iowa caucuses and went on to win the presidency was George W. Bush. Otherwise, you have all these conservatives. Again, this is on the GOP side because Barack Obama winning the Iowa caucuses basically helped make him president. And the Iowa caucuses did nothing for Joe Biden, who had to rescue his uh, campaign in South Carolina, which is why, on the Dem side, South Carolina is first this year. But what happens is, you know, the media camp out there, whoever wins, even by 10 votes, gets an enormous amount of positive press. And even if you finish second or better than expected, you get a lot of good press. And then about eight days later, New Hampshire votes. And that's a primary. It's a very different state. That's where Nikki Haley hopes to win or at least come close to Donald Trump. It's where uh, a lot of Democrats and independents cross over and vote in the Republican primary. And that's also a relatively small state that is not representative of, you know, New York, California, Texas, Illinois, you name it. 
So really, those two contests, what I will say in defense of them is this, having covered many caucuses and many New Hampshire primaries, they allow either long-shot candidates or candidates who don't have much money. When John McCain won the nomination the second time in, in his second run in 2008, as opposed to when he won, the Iowa, he won New Hampshire in uh, 2000, he, had, he went broke. I mean, he was struggling. Nobody thought, I mean, political obituaries are being written. But if you take your bus up there and you go to, you know, all 99 counties, which is one thing DeSantis has done, you can do well. Now, in this case, we have the dominant Donald Trump. If he gets that 48%, if he even gets 40%, he'll win easily, you know, by 20 points, 25 points. It's clearly the most likely outcome. That's what all the media are expecting right now. So really, if you take that view, DeSantis and Haley are in a battle for second place. Now, with Chris Christie out of the race, Nikki hoping she can do well in New Hampshire. So that's the one good thing, is they got to do a lot of retail campaigning, Trump an exception, because he's already been president. And... You know, it's a chance for journalists to go to all these town halls and interview a lot of voters, a lot of time. Because once you get past New Hampshire, or at least South Carolina, it's a tarmac campaign. You know, people are flying in, they're flying out, they have a news conference, they go to one event, two events on to the next state because you have multiple states voting culminating in Super Tuesday. That's not the end of the primaries, but that's usually when somebody's clinched the nomination. Primaries actually go on until June. So let me share with you a bunch of columns here that I think make really salient points. Ross Douthat, moderate conservative in the New York Times, was always clear in 24 that a large minority of the Republican primary electorate would vote for Donald Trump no matter what including in the event of his untimely passing uh, for the former president's reanimated corpse or his AI simulation. A smaller block strongly preferred a pre-Trump and un-Trump-like Republican. This has become the Nikki Haley constituency. And all that leaves about 40% of the party up for grabs. So, These people wanted a version of Trump with less drama, who wasn't constantly undermined by his generals or his bureaucrats, who didn't didn't seem confused about the difference between tweeting a problem and actually addressing it. They didn't want to replay Trump's first term, especially how it ended. With Trump at war with his own public health apparatus over covid while a left-wing cultural revolution surged through American cities and schools and mass media. Ron DeSantis' entire persona as governor of Florida seemed to meet this ostensible demand. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level 
today. That's shopify.com slash system. So Douthat goes on to say that part of the Trumpian persona, and you all know this, is his ability to tangle with the media happily, you know, to be a happy warrior, take it on the media, love-hate relationship, all that. DeSantis tried to run a presidential campaign exclusively with right-wing outlets and very online formats, like his disastrous Muskian debut, that on Twitter. His lack of charisma relative to Trump was always going to be a problem, but he made it worse by cocooning himself. And I said that to the governor in our second interview. I interviewed him three times, including a couple weeks ago. And in the third interview, a couple weeks ago, I said, was it a mistake to wait so long to start going on CNN, MSNBC, Morning Joe, you name it? Because, you know, he fell way behind the polls. And then suddenly he was very accessible. And he said, oh, no, we've been doing this since the summer. But actually, whatever the starting point was, it was way too late. By that point, he was in a deep hole. He'd blown through a lot of his money. So, that, I think, has put him in a very difficult situation, especially in Iowa, where there's a large evangelical population who vote. And if Ron DeSantis finishes third behind Nikki Haley, a lot of people predict that he may drop out. I don't know that to be the case, but certainly he has placed his chips on Iowa. Now, here is a New York Times story, a news story, <laughs> that I actually raised with Governor DeSantis in our first interview on Media Buzz. Begins by saying Governor Ron DeSantis has a classic American dream story. He hardly ever tells it. Middle-class kid, his baseball skills helped take him to the Little League World Series. Not many Iowans know that. Graduated from Harvard Law School, joined the Navy, deployed to Iraq, which he mentions only in passing. His wife, Casey DeSantis, diagnosed with breast cancer early in his governorship. Never talks about the difficulties of getting through that while raising three young children. Although he frequently appears with his kids on the trail, he's more likely to describe him by their ages. I've seen that, seven, five, and three. Then their names, Madison, Mason, and Mamie. Didn't know their names. And even his wife calls him governor instead of Ron. And yes, he's intensely private. So, I think my first or second question to him in that interview was, you know, you were on the Yale baseball team. You fought in Iraq. And then there was some third thing. And I said, why don't you talk about that? And so, he spent about a paragraph talking about it. And then, I guess, we moved on to other questions, mostly about policy. But he just, you know, one of the reasons DeSantis seems, how should I put this, like a very serious, sober guy, 
not necessarily passing the guy I'd like to have beer with, candidate for president, is because he doesn't talk about himself much. He doesn't seem comfortable doing that. If you fought in Iraq, man, I'd, I'd make half the commercials about that. You know, military service. Haley talks more about her husband, who's been called up uh, by the reserves right now, than DeSantis does talking about what he did for the U.S. military in Iraq. Now, here's David Brooks, another moderate conservative in the Times, talking about Nikki Haley in quite positive terms, even though Brooks, you know, ultimately will support Joe Biden. She is one of the toughest politicians in America, confrontational, willing to hammer her foes. She tells stories about her girlhood, which are often about exclusion, being disqualified from a beauty pageant because it was set up to allow for only one black and one white winner. A fruit stand vendor calling the cops because her father was a brown-skinned man wearing a turban. She once described her childhood as survival mode when she ran for governor as a long shot of South Carolina in 2010. Two different men surfaced claiming they had had affairs with her. No proof provided. A fellow lawmaker called her a raghead. So if you're just looking on a personal basis, a woman who's a woman of color, uh, Indian American, she's had to pull up, uh, put up with a lot. On the other hand, uh, former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, after his political career imploded for his um, hiking the Appalachian Trail, if you get my drift, he gave Nikki Haley a $400,000 donation at a crucial moment. And then, says Sanford, she cut me off. This is systematic with Nikki. She cuts off people who've contributed to her success. It's almost like there's some weird psychological thing where she needs to pretend it's self-made. And even the tough Nikki Haley hasn't criticized Trump all that much. He was his U.N. ambassador. She is surging, but mostly among college-educated voters. She does better among those voters than, you know, blue-collar voters who did not go to college or did not finish college. Trump also has an advantage Haley can't match. He's reviled by the coastal professional classes. Okay, Peggy Noonan, Wall Street Journal. This is fun. She didn't like either candidate. Democrats on the ground are making a mistake in not rebelling against the inevitability of Joe Biden. He's no longer up to the job. And the vice president never was, meaning Kamala. And this doesn't go under the heading of a national security secret. Everybody knows. Peggy says, the problem isn't the Biden campaign, however lame it may or may not be. It isn't that the president's most important advisors are in the White House, not the campaign. Barack Obama has advised that some of them move to the campaign. You have your best political people. And it's not only his age. She goes on to say Biden's speeches are boring. He never seems sincere. He seems propped up. His subject matter, 
isn't life, as most people are experiencing it, but something, uh, he seems like he just met the text when he stumbles and coughs and so forth. His advisors would think, yeah, then we'll do more interviews. But he's not good there either. Hesitant, lacking the confidence you must have to express your own thoughts as they arrive in your head. So, so much for Joseph R. Biden Jr. Republicans similarly shouldn't accept the inevitability of Donald Trump. Uh, on Fox, in a counter-programming coup, the former president was big daddy with a sinister side and seemed big. He's riding high. He thinks he's got this thing. He warned of bedlam if he's convicted in court. He did. And loses the election. Elise Stefanik, major MAGA supporter, wouldn't say I meet the press sheet except the outcome of the election. Is all that stubbornness and just rhetorical posturing, or is it something more? Something hiding in plain sight? If there ever is another day like January 6, 2021, it will be led by people who were there the first time and are now better at it. Trump will say anything for the attention. He wants the cameras on him. He said that the Civil War could have been negotiated and avoided. He would have cut a deal. Well, we can never prove that, but given the centrality of slavery in the war between the states, seems unlikely. He said if Lincoln negotiated it, you probably wouldn't even know who Abraham Lincoln was. Yes, Lincoln was a cynical, self-aggrandizing pal, not a genius dealmaker like Trump. What an idiot he is. Peggy is usually a little bit more light-handed, lighter touch. Take it off the gloves here. She talks about why people uh, like Trump in a world full of animals. He's our animal. Mischief. Sheer humor. His antics make you laugh. But anyway, she wants two different nominees. Story two. It's been almost a week now, but yesterday at the Bethel, Big Bethel AME Church in Atlanta, Fannie Willis, the Fulton County prosecutor who's got the big case against Trump and lots of co-defendants, broke her silence about these allegations made by a Trump co-defendant that she had hired as the chief prosecutor in the Trump case, Attorney Nathan Wade, who's her boyfriend, who got paid a lot of money and took lavish vacations with Fonnie Willis. Now, she hasn't said anything about that for days. She didn't deny it or really even address it directly in this speech. But what she did was play the race card. And she says in the speech, I'm going to be accused of playing the race card. She said that Race was a criticism, it was a central part of the criticism of her as a black woman, first female DA in Fulton County, and Wade, a black man. They are going to be mad when I call out this nonsense, Willis said. First thing they say, oh, she's going to play the race card. But isn't it them playing the race card when they think I need someone in some other jurisdiction, in some other state, to tell me how to do a job I've been doing for almost 30 years? She strongly defended Wade without naming him as a lawyer of impeccable credentials, 
and said nothing about this court filing claiming they have a romantic relationship. I am sure if she could deny it, she would have. She also used the occasion to say that she's flawed and imperfect. So was Martin Luther King Jr. So Wade's firm has been paid more than $650,000 by Willis's office to do this job. So what does she do? Oh, to uh, She points to the most lavish outfit that she was wearing that day, yesterday. A 29 and 99 cent black dress from Ross, discount retailer. She said it was her right as DA to appoint a special prosecutor. Yeah, nobody's challenging that. She said she appointed three special counsel, paid them all the same hourly rate. They only attack one. But she also said this was a low point in her time as DA, that she felt loneliness um, she singled out Marjorie Taylor Greene, who went after her, who's never met me, but has allowed her spirit to be filled with hate. How does this woman, from Georgia also, who has the honor of being a leader in my state, how is it she has not reached out to me? So that was her attempt to win over the church and maybe primarily black voters in Fulton County. Story number three. This barely made a blip given everything that's going on between the two wars, the uh, U.S. attack on the Houthis in the Red Sea and the Iowa caucuses. New York State judge has ordered Donald Trump to pay the New York Times a really big legal fee over a now-dismissed lawsuit that he brought against the paper. Look, Trump likes to sue people. Not exactly a national security secret. He was ordered to pay a $392,000 fine to pay for the journalist's legal fees, says uh, Times reporter Suzanne Craig, you see her a lot on MSNBC, who slammed the lawsuit in which she was named as frivolous. This was dismissed almost a year ago. And the judge in New York Supreme Court said reporters were entitled to engage in legal and ordinary news-gathering activities, this was about his personal finances, without fear or tort liability. At the very core, protected First Amendment activity. So each of these three reporters, Suzanne Craig, David Barstow, and Russell Butner, get each well over $100,000 to offset their legal costs. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number four. Late Friday, if you didn't catch this, Hunter Biden... Well, you know, after showing up at the House hearing and walking out, having his lawyer talk to the media mob in the hallway, not speaking himself, President's son, then went to L.A. the next day and pleaded not guilty to felony tax evasion charges. But then late Friday, we learned from his lawyer 
that after all of the theatrics, Hunter Biden will comply with the Republican-controlled House Committee subpoena to testify in a closed-door deposition, not just, you know, in public, which is what he wants. Now, there are some technicalities here. Uh, They didn't like the old subpoena, so they're asking for a new subpoena, but they're saying Hunter Biden will show up. I guess, among other things, the president's son doesn't want to be held in contempt of Congress, which is where the Republican House is moving. And obviously, if, if they work it out, he won't be uh, found liable for being in contempt of Congress. But what Andy McCarthy says, and this is a Fox column, is that it's not going to hurt President Biden any more than it already has because they can't suffer more political damage over it than they already have. Even the tax indictment, prosecutors took pains not to mention the president's name in it. No sensible person doubts that when the election is over, President Biden will pardon his son. I don't know that that's a fact, but that's the view of this former federal prosecutor. Merrick Garland is already up to his neck in preferential treatment for hapless Hunter. But here's the key thing. Here's the core of it. If he shows up for the deposition, and this was written before his lawyer said he would, he will take the fifth. And the reason he will take the fifth before a House committee, which, of course, is his constitutional right to do, will look terrible, of course, because he's already under criminal prosecution and anything he says in sworn testimony in some back room before the Republican and Democratic members of the committee can and would be used against him. Any lawyer would tell his client to take the fifth when it's the president's son, if this is right. He will have complied with the subpoena, but given the panel, nothing. So we'll see how that plays out. And finally, story number five. Roger Stone, kind of a wild and crazy guy, who also had been indicted, but pardoned by President Trump, was the subject of a mediaite story saying that there was a tape of Stone in which he talked about assassinating a liberal Democrat or two. Stone said, Media has produced no audio of me threatening two Dem congressmen. Where is it? Post it. Well, Media has now done that very thing. This is recorded at a restaurant, described as a lightly edited to protect Mediaite's source. This is a conversation with his associate, Sal Greco, who was both in the past an NYPD officer and political operative for Donald Trump. And the two Democratic targets would have been Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell. Now, you can go to Mediad and listen to the audio tape yourself. It's time to do it, Stone said. Let's go find Swalwell. 
It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. It's time to do it. It's either Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Let's go find Swalwell and get this over with. I'm not putting up with this S anymore. And the source said Stone was not joking around. But Stone denied it. It's a total nonsense. I've never said anything of the kind. More AI manipulation, except... On this tape, you can hear Stone say those very things, and he sounds dead serious. He doesn't sound like, as, oh, if we knock this guy off, yeah, boy, we'll, we'll show our enemies. Sounds like a really serious conversation. And be careful about denying something where you're on tape because a news outlet can always play the tape. And it's kind of chilling. Go listen to it. It's... An interesting artifact. Obviously, this was never carried out, fortunately for the two esteemed members of Congress. And that about wraps it up. So all day you'll see uh, coverage today of the voting and the snow and all that. But I won't have any results for you until tomorrow's podcast. And this is typical of whatever election day is in a certain state or in the country, you know. A lot of time to fill, maybe some exit polls, although it's very hard, especially with this weather, to do exit polling for a caucus. It doesn't even start till 7 p.m. Central, which is 8 o'clock on the East Coast. Uh, so I've tried to give you as much as I could. So much is going on that it's just a challenge to keep up. I hope you come back tomorrow for more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.